This is Jeremy Jung, and you're listening to Software Sessions. Today I'm speaking with Julia Evans. Julia makes fantastic zines that break down technical topics in a really friendly way, and she also has a lot of great blog posts. It's always like exciting to see new content from Julia, and so I'm really excited to talk to her today about her current work writing a zine about HTTP. So thanks so much for joining us today. I'm so excited to be on the show. Thanks for having me. The first thing I want to ask is what got you excited about writing about HTTP? Like I, I think a lot of people know a little bit about HTTP, but what got you really excited about diving into the, you know, the deep end? I think when I, like one time I really started learning about HTTP was when I was working on uh, the team that kind of handled like the content delivery network at work. Um, And I had to start dealing with like, okay, wait, if we don't set these HTTP headers exactly right, the site will go down. This is like kind of scary. Wait, how does HTTP work? There's like a lot more to this than I thought. Mm, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and like starting to deal with some of those like nitty gritty details, I was like, oh, this is really cool. Like there's like a lot to this protocol and it, it does a lot. And, and so like, what are some examples of like a header that you might set? And it's like, if you didn't set it right, you said the whole site goes down. Yeah, well, okay. An, an example of the... Uh, Where's something where the whole site could go down? I think the strict transport security is kind of an interesting example of a header where like, so so the strict transport security header forces your site to use HTTPS, which is Mm. a good thing. In, in a lot of ways, right? Because right. like we live in 2019, you can encrypt everything. We have Let's Encrypt. You yep. should just make everything HTTPS. Um, but what that means is if, is if you ever kind of like screw up your TLS cert, um, it means you can never go back to the HTTP version of the site, right? So if the TLS does break for some reason, you have no mm. recourse and browsers will just refuse to use the HTTP version of your site. Um, so it's just like a little bit of a, it's something to pay attention to, you know? Like you need to make sure you're ready to commit to HTTPS for eternity. <laughs> Right, and so the <laughs> which which I think we're I think we're getting there, right? Yeah, no, I, th- I think so. I did it for my personal site, and I was like, Oof, okay, no, HTTPS forever, I can do it, like it's fine. <laughs> but <laughs> um, like I think it's a fine thing to do, but you just have to have to know that that's what you're committing to, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it's like basically you're saying you you you're telling the browser, hey, like when you come talk to me, you have to use HTTPS. But like if my HTTPS is broken, like my certs are broken, then yeah. it's just the site's totally down. Then the site's totally down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so I guess maybe we should back up a little bit when we're talking about the HTTP protocol. I think a lot of people don't really understand. Um, what's actually being sent? Like they, I think they understand that you go to a website and you know it's like making requests and there's stuff coming back. But like, what does that actually look like? Yeah, totally. Um, so let's talk about HTTP request first. Um, so I think a lot of people have heard about like oh, like a GET request or a POST request. Um, so the first thing to know about HTTP requests is just that every HTTP request has a method, um, which is usually GET or POST, right? Um, when when you type a URL like in your browser, that's a GET request, and requests have they have a method right like GET. Um, they have headers, um, which is sort of what we were talking about with strict transport security, um, which are just like extra information you're sending the server, which is like, hey, my browser is Firefox, right? Mm. And then there's a body sometimes. So GET requests don't usually have a body, but POST requests where you're sending like JSON, where like you might have done that with an API, probably POST requests usually have a body. Where, where you're actually sending like some data to the server. Right, right. Over over the network, like we take it just a little step lower, I guess. Yeah. 
is the HTTP request, is that writing over a TCP? You know, does it, is it just text or is it binary? What yeah. does that look like? Um, so HTTP 1.1, um, which is the version that I think most people are most familiar with. Um, it's like what we've been using sort of for the last 10 years or something-ish, right. um, is a plain text protocol over TCP. So literally, if you go into your terminal and you type like an, an NC, netcat is a tool to open up a TCP connection. And if you type like netc example.com 80 and you just try, type like get slash HTTP slash 1.1, enter host colon example.com, enter, enter, it'll send off an HTTP request and then it'll send you back an HTTP response and that's it. Like you can, it's like, it's like literally a protocol that you can like type with your hands, which I find so charming and wonderful. I'm like, I can just look at this. It's so simple. Wow. And it's the whole web. Like, yeah. <laughs> what could be better? You know? Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and it's literally, yeah, it's just text. It's like text separated by line breaks, I guess. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. So you don't even um, have to like prettify it or whatever. It's just kind of like, oh, this is just yeah. these headers. Yeah. Yeah. Technically, there it's like a slash R slash N. Like there's two line breaks. Mm, uh, but okay. a lot of the time, if you just put a slash N, it'll be okay. It'll oh, it'll it, anyway. work out. Even if that's not like what the spec says. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, but cool. yeah. Yeah. Just line breaks. So what of the... One of the things we were talking about earlier is how there's all these different headers and things like that. Yeah. Uh, what are the ones that you think are most important for people to understand? Yeah, totally. So for responses, let's say, I think one of the more important he headers is the content type header and, and also for requests, actually. Okay, let's talk about um, HTTP APIs because I think that usually when you're in a browser and you're making requests, you're not worrying so much about the headers that you're sending, right? Like your browser mm -hmm. just does it and you're like, who yeah. cares? Like, you right. know, <laughs> um, your browser is sending all these, all these headers um, on your behalf. Um, but when you're using an HTTP API, you often are controlling the headers that you're sending directly, right? And you might not, might be like, okay, what do I need to set? And there's, there are actually like generally only two headers you need to set when you're using an HTTP API. So there's this header called content type. And so let's say we're making a post request to like the Twilio API or the Instagram API or something. In that post request, you're going to be sending a body, which could be either JSON or it could be something called, it's called like form URL encoded. Usually you'll use JSON. And if you don't set the content type to match the body of your request... Like, do you know if like if it's JSON and you don't set like content type applications slash JSON, the server will be like, I don't know what you're sending me, yo. Like, I'm not, mm. I, I can't deal with this, right? Like, it really yeah. needs you to like say what the content type is explicitly. Um, so I think that's an important header to know about. And this is like very top of mind for me because I was just like integrating with an API the other day, <laughs> like just like some random API, and I was like, yeah, content type applications slash JSON, and I tried it without it, and it did not work. Oh, um, so, okay. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's like, and like you only need to do this if you're because a lot of the time you have like a library that you use, right? If right, you're using right. some API, but sometimes you don't have a library. Like this, this one I was using just like didn't have a library, so I was like, okay. Okay, great. Let's just we're gonna add some headers manually, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, so, so I'm curious when the server says like, "Oh no, I don't understand that." Is that yeah. is that Nginx or is that like the application server? Like, which part is you know is that's a good question. You? It can it can be both. So in that case, I would guess that it's the application server mm. because it's sort of like about the content type of the request. Mm -hmm. You can also definitely have Nginx uh, reject the request. For example, like if, if there's like a timeout, like you'll see like 503 request, like timeout, which will, which will typically be from like Nginx being like, look, I tried to send your request to the server. Mm -hmm. It didn't reply. I don't know what happened. Yeah. Like, 
like 504 gateway time at i give up yeah 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 so that was another thing i kind of wanted to ask like when you look at response codes what are what are some common response codes that by understanding what they mean like it really helps you debug like when you're talking to an api what's actually wrong yeah. So there's four kinds of response codes. There's the ones that start with two, the ones that start with three, the ones that start with four, and the ones that start with five, right? Um, so, so it's pretty simple. Um, they're, they're categorized in a really nice way. The, the two ones, like 200, mean like success. Everything mm. is great. Yep. Um, the three ones are all redirects, uh, mm. basically. So they're like, go to this other website. These are not the droids you're looking for. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, right. Like, <laughs> The four ones are uh, like a client error. So basically the four ones are telling you like it's your fault. So for example, when I was making the request to this API and I didn't send the content type, it was like, I don't understand what you're talking about. It was like 400, yeah. like bad request or something. Yeah. And it was like, I I don't know, you screwed up. Yeah, like, try it's again, your right? fault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think like 403 unauthorized is another example of like you didn't authenticate correctly. Um, 404 not bad is like, look, you asked for this URL. It's not there, but right. it's your fault that it's not there. Right. You should have asked for it. <laughs> Kind of mental, right? <laughs> so, so the four of fours are kind of like blaming you, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. In, in different ways. <laughs> um, and then the, the five hundreds are the server's fault. So you have like five hundred internal server error, which is sort of a generic like something went wrong, right. usually in the application code on the server, mm. and just like I, you know, like there was an exception, something like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's really a, a great way to look at it. Like, basically, if it starts with a four, it's your fault. And if it starts with a five, then it's the server's fault. <laughs> yeah, and it's not totally true. Like, if there's a 404, it very well could be the server's fault. Right? Mm, like, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, um, and the same with, like, a, an unauthorized error. It's like, maybe you screwed up your application code, right? Like, yeah. your, your, your authentication code. Like, but that that's kind of the semantics of it. Like, that's what it means. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I've kind of come across, like you said, like, oh, the 500 internal server error. And then um, another one I've seen is like uh, 502, like a bad gateway. And right. um, I, I'm not sure like what cases you've seen it in. But for me, like I, I found it's like if I have Nginx in front of an application and Nginx can't talk to the application, uh, a lot of times I end up getting the bad gateway. Like, do, so do you know kind of like the deeper meaning behind that? Like, what is it? What is it supposed to be telling you? I, I I think it's just what you said. That's my understanding. Mm-hmm. Is like Nginx couldn't. I mean, we, we could we could we could we could look it up. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we have we have the internet. Um, we we can look at the the uh, the official thing says. Server error response indicates that the server, while acting as a gateway or proxy, re- received an invalid response from the upstream server. Hmm. Okay. So yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's just like something is wrong with the server, right? Like, like Nginx is like, look, something went wrong. Yeah. I think a, a lot, of, a lot of these error codes are a little bit general. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like received an invalid response. Yeah. Like, it's like thanks. <laughs> You're just telling me I'm wrong, right? <laughs> yeah yeah and i think the reality is like there's a lot of different software doing a lot of different things and like returning the same error codes yeah so it's hard to tell like just from an error code like exactly what what went wrong Mm -hmm. like like i think it could be that there's like a firewall problem right 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 maybe though that might manifest as a anyway you know yeah that that would be a firewall problem from say nginx to whatever server is trying to yeah yeah exactly i don't know if that would be a 502 Mm -hmm. like it's a little It'd probably be a five something, right? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it would be a five something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
when you think of authentication with APIs, like how, how does that typically work? Like, are you putting things into the headers or like, you know, am I putting my username and password in there? Like what's going on there? Yeah. So usually you use an API key that you'll get from the API, mm-hmm. um, like a secret key. Well, I guess, I guess there's two kinds, right? There's like OAuth, which I don't really want to get into. Okay. Lar- largely because I do not have it swapped into my head uh-huh. how OAuth works, yeah, honestly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, and, and OAuth is also like sort of you're logging in on behalf of someone else, right? right? right. It's not like you're authenticated to the API yourself. Mm-hmm. But if it's like, if you're just doing like, if you're, for example, using the Twitter API and you just want to post tweets to your account, you can just use an API key. You don't need to do like OAuth. Yeah. So yeah. Um, and, and then there's two places you can put that API key. It depends on the API, basically. Like you have to look at the docs, um, but it can either be in the header. So there's this authentication, uh, authentication, authorization header. Mm-hmm. And you just basically like put the API key in that header. You need to base64 encode it, but like every library will just do that for you. Like you'll just be like, you know, uh, but yeah, it's it just like the authorization header and then like a base64 encoded version mm-hmm. of your um, of your API key. And then the other way is some APIs, like I was just using an API that it was actually like just part of the request body. So you would just include your the API key in oh, your request body okay. instead of putting it in a header, yeah, yeah. which is like, you know, fine too. Yeah. How about when people are first logging in, you know, they have to put in a username and password. Is that also usually put into the header? Yeah. Yeah. That's also in like an authorization header. It's it's just like you take the username and password and concatenate them together with a colon mm-hmm. and then B64 encode the whole thing. Oh, okay. So if you were... Um, and then you put that into a header, into the authorization. It's like authorization, basic, and then the B64 encoded version of like username, colon, password. Okay. So when people talk about HTTP basic authentication, or is it authorization? Yeah. <laughs> um, that, uh, that's what they're talking about. Yeah, yeah, that's what they're talking about. Yeah, it's just in a header. And like, like you'll see that pop up in your browser sometimes, right? Where it's like, log into this website. Yeah. That, that's what that is. Your browser is just like putting that into a header. Mm, okay, so if you opened up like the browser development tools um, and you took a look at the header, you could decode the base64 string and just see your username and password. Yeah, exactly. It's not like secured at all. Like it's just like plain text. Mm, okay. Uh, yeah. uh, another thing I kind of wanted to ask about is, is cookies. So... Um, I know, mm-hmm. I know, we're all accustomed to going to web pages and getting warned like this site uses cookies, <laughs> but uh, right. it's like, what is that? What does that actually mean? Like, what's going on there? Right, and it's interesting because there's sort of two different kinds of cookies, right? Like there, there are like so, so, so the the most common I would say use case for cookies, like like the the basic thing that they're for is actually like keeping you logged in, mm-hmm. right? Like it's like you log in to like your email, and then when you go back to your email and load another page, you don't log in every single time, right? Right, right. <laughs> like like you stay logged in even when like you reload the page five hours later. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't just happen, right? Mm-hmm. Like. Um, the, the way that, that works is that um, the server sets cookie, which is like a, some kind of session token for you. And then you, every time your browser goes back to that site, it'll it'll send the cookie back. And cookies are really dumb in a way. Like it's it's really like the server sends like the set cookie header which with the cookie. And then every time your browser goes back to that site, it just sends it back, right? It's like, here are the cookies you sent me. Here are the cookies you sent me. And mm. it doesn't really, like it doesn't know what they are, right? It just like name equals value and it just sends, sends them all back. You're saying the the server keeps sending back the cookie that you sent to it? No, it's the other way around. Oh, the other Sorry. way around. Okay, but, okay. Yeah, yeah. The server sets a cookie once, yeah. and then your browser will send it back every oh, time it visits okay, the website, okay. which is how the server knows who you are. Yeah, and every right? every time because like the first time you log in, it sets like the login cookie, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then every time your browser goes back, it it sends that cookie, and it's like, and the server's like, oh, okay, that's Julia. Like, 
Yeah, so every time you like click on a different link, uh, your browser is sending the cookie to the server again, over and over again. There's no like, um, there's no kind of like cache or anything. It's just you always send it. Yeah, yeah. Because otherwise, there's no way for the server to know, right? Because it's getting an HTTP request, which is like get like slash tweets. Um, and if there weren't that cookie header, there would be no way for it to know who you are, mm, right? Yeah. Or that you were already logged in, right? Like, right. Because there's nothing else in that request that it could use. It's it's not quite true because actually, like the JavaScript on the page can use like local storage mm-hmm. um to get information from your browser instead or to get cookies. Mm-hmm. But like just on like like if you want the server to know without the JavaScript having to make like a separate AJAX request, um, yeah, you basically have to use cookies. Yeah, so I'm sort of curious about that because like when people are building, say, a single page application or an application that uses JavaScript. Um, you know, to talk to APIs, there's kind of a lot of talk about like, should you use cookies or should you use local storage for the um, the authorization token? And I'm kind of wondering, like, when, how do you decide? Like, where where should you put it? That's a great question. I honestly am not a front end developer, and I am like pretty reluctant to weigh in on like front end best practices. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, like like the main thing um, in this zine on the cookies page I was mm-hmm. like look the main thing you have to know is if you're designing a login system with cookies it's real complicated and you need to be careful about your security and like I'm not I do not have space on this page to tell you just like please go read like you know like use a framework which already implements some best practices I don't know good luck <laughs> <laughs> but just like don't design it yourself without like thinking about it for sure yeah. <laughs> or like without consulting anyone because yep. it's complicated you know like security starts to get right yeah <laughs> cool you know all these things that we're talking about whether it's the um the status codes or the headers and and that sort of thing w- what's the best way for someone to sort of see what's happening like when they go to websites and actually see the headers going back and forth what, what would you recommend they start start with okay so um in bra- all browsers in the developer tools you have this network tab um which is the best thing and so amazing and it just lists every request that happened. Um, so I'm looking at one right now, and it says, like, status 200, method get, d- domain developer.mozilla.org slash whatever. And then it has all of the response headers and all of the request headers. And I can just see everything that happened right there in my browser. Yeah. And you can see all the cookies. You can just see everything. It's beautiful. Yeah, it kind of uh, blew my mind a little bit when you, you go to a web page and you have the network tab open and it's like, oh, my God, there's like... 40 requests. And yeah, it's true. <laughs> There's always like a million requests. Yeah, yeah. Another thing like uh, I wanted to kind of go into is like when I first started playing with developer tools and things like that, one of the status codes you'll see a lot is um, I believe it was a, is it a 304. It's, it's yeah. like where something, I guess it's already cached or like you already have it. And yeah. I was kind of wondering uh, if we could go into sort of how that works. Like, how does the server know, like, oh, I re- you already got this and I don't need to send it again? Right. Yeah. Um, so your browser has a-, a lot of things cached because, like, for, for example, um, let's say you're on, like, you know, Twitter.com and there's, like, all this CSS, right? Like, megabytes of CSS, maybe. Yeah. Maybe not. <laughs> but, like, you know, a-, a lot of people have a lot of JavaScript and CSS. And you don't want to have to re-download it every time you load the page because it takes forever, right? Especially if you're on a slow connection. Right. Um, so your browser caches um, the JavaScript and the CSS. And w- what that means is that it needs to have a way to ask the server, like, hey, has this been updated, right? Um, and there's a couple of ways to do that. The main, the main way is that um, when... 
a server, um, let's say like Twitter, sends sends you some JavaScript, it'll uh, send an e tag header for that JavaScript, and the e tag is just like an identifier for the JavaScript. It's typically like a hash, like an MD5 sum or something, um, of just like the contents of that file. Mm. Um, so it'll be like, okay, e tag like fz, not z, fea123, right? Um, and your browser is like, okay, sweet, this file, the e tag is fea123. And it'll save it in its cache. And then the next time it requests that page, right? Like, for example, the next time you click on something, um, it'll send send another request um, to, to the server and be like, hey, I want this. Um, and it'll send a get request with the if none match header, um, which is basically saying with, with the e tag of the like resources it already has. So it'll be like, okay, um, get like slash whatever.js, um, if none match, FEA123. Um, and then if um, that's the current version of the resource, the server will reply um, and say uh, like 304 not modified, which means it's fine. Just use the version you already have. Um, and like the three, like we talked about that before, it's like a redirect, right? And it's kind of funny because it's not really a redirect, um, but it, like what the spec says, it's like, oh, it's like a quote unquote redirect to the cache, right? Like, hmm, it's a redirect, um, like- <laughs> but it's not actually returning anything to you, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but anyway, just saying, use 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 what use what you already have. Right, right. And and a lot of like, so I think most people won't implement them that themselves. Like this, like three or four not modified thing. Like they won't write code to do that. Um, what you'll typically do is you'll host like your um CSS or JavaScript on like a content delivery network, mm-hmm. um, like Fastly or Cloudflare or CloudFront or you know whatever. Yeah, Akamai. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they'll take care of that for you. Um, so like they'll set the e tag to like the hash of the thing, and then um, it'll send a three hundred four dot modified if it hasn't been modified. Mm-hmm. And is that used just from say the browser to the server, or is that also used from like the content delivery network to like your application server? Um, that's a good question. I don't know if content delivery networks sent like if none match. Mm, okay. Um, to check if they already have it. Mm-hmm. Um, because I I think it's sort of less important. Like, because CDNs usually don't make as many requests for cache resources mm-hmm. um, because, like, you'll send, like, let's say you're sending them some CSS and you're like, okay, cache this for, you know, 60 seconds or two minutes or how, however long you want to cache it for, then it won't send you another request for two minutes, right? So if it just requests the resource again, like, two minutes later, it's not that big of a deal, you know? Yeah, yes. So maybe we can go into that a little bit. So you're saying there's a, a cache control uh, header. So the, if I understand correctly, the CD like the user makes a request and let's say they want an image, and then the yeah. the CDN would make a request to the application server. And would it be the application yeah. server returning? Um, what was the header called again? Sorry, cache, cache control. Cache control. Uh, and it's basically, <laughs> and it's basically saying there's so many headers. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and it's basically we can do a taxonomy later yeah yeah (laughs) uh and it's like um you know this image i'm giving you uh you don't need to ask me for it again for another uh five days or something and then yeah it's actually the cdn that is keeping track of the fact it doesn't need to ask again is that right yeah exactly yeah or your browser like your your browser will also look at the cache control header and be like okay i won't ask about this again for another five days Mm, okay and uh, oh, okay, so it's like both the browser and the CDN both make use of cache control headers. Yeah. 
Yeah, which is why another reason you need to be careful about setting them, because if you set your cache control header for too long, then people aren't going to ask you, like like the browser isn't going to ask you again for the resource, so they might have an old version. Oh, you know? okay. So it, it doesn't even make the request, like with the example of the e-tag, um, the browser will yeah. ask, but in the case of cache control, the browser goes like, no, I'm good. Like, I got Yeah, the right it thing. said it was good for five days, yeah. so yeah. it's only been three days. Yeah, and I believe <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And that's that's another example of how you can sort of like break your website, right? Like if you expect like these things to be updated, but then they're being cached. Right. So so if uh, if someone like I, I know sometimes uh, I'll go to a site and I'm like, hey, I'm not seeing the thing I expect to see. And someone will just tell me like, oh, just, you know, just hold control shift uh, R right. and like force it to refresh. So like, is that sort of saying ignore the cache control or, or what is that? Doing? Exactly. Yeah. That's saying ignore everything that's been cached and like refetch everything. That's telling the browser to do that. But you can, that only works for your browser. Right? right, right. And everybody else looking at the site is still seeing the old thing. Exactly. Got it. So another thing I was kind of curious about is I was looking at uh, some of your Twitter posts about headers that show information like, oh, this um, this HTTP request, it came from Fastly or this came from Cloudflare. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of wondering, like, what is the reason for having headers that are specific to a CDN be sent? That's a good question. I think it's helpful for debugging. Um, like, for example, let's say there's something wrong with what the CDN did. You can say, like, because you'll, you'll have these headers like, oh, X, Fastly, request ID. Mm-hmm. Fastly is a CDN. Right. Um, and then there's some long ID. And then if you have an issue, you could say, like, oh, Fastly, this is the request ID I had a problem with. Can you look into this? Mm-hmm. Like, if you're, like, emailing your support team and you're a customer of theirs. I see. Um, my, yeah. I would assume that's the reason okay. that they put that in there. So it's like they they put in like an ID that you can use to send to their support team or something like that if something's wrong. Yeah, yeah. If if you're not like their customer and aren't going to be emailing their support team, I don't think it's that useful. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. it's just like some internal ID that they have. Right, right. How about the um the refer header? Like, do do pages actually behave differently depending on what's what's put in there? They can. Um, so I think it was it was a popular thing, like maybe in the mid two thousands. So so what what the what the refer header does is it um, tells you which like if a site links to your site, um, it'll tell you like which site sent it. Mm. Um, so so people use a lot, this a lot actually for like marketing tracking, for example. Mm. Like they'll be like, okay, this uh, person came to my page from you know this other blog posts mm-hmm. or from like Twitter. Mm-hmm. So you can sort of like track where people are coming oh, to your site from. Okay. Um, if, you, if like you have an e-commerce site. Yeah. Um, but, but another sort of funnier way people used to use it is um, they, they used to do this big thing about hot linking, right? Where someone would just include an image in their site. Oh, uh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> and then it would like and, and not host on their own server, maybe because they wanted to save bandwidth. I think this was when bandwidth on the internet was more scarce, mm-hmm. and it's not like a big, such a big idea right, of a deal. Right. So then people would be like, "Oh, I'm gonna put like a rude image." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If like it's not the refer isn't oh, from my site. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I kind of remember that where it's like, um, yeah, people would use like free image hosting services or things like that, and they would try to embed it in like a forum post or something. Right, yeah. And then the free image service would just be like, oh, this was hotlinked. You can't see this image because of that. Okay, cool. Another thing I'd like to ask is, are there any like headers that people wouldn't expect or kind of weird that um, that you found while you were researching this? Um, are there weird headers? That's a good question. I was mostly thinking about normal 
headers. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. That's practical. Yeah. Um, what's a weird header? I think one kind of fun header that I like um, is the range header. Hmm. Um, do you know the range header? No, no, I don't. Um, so, um, have you ever done like wget dash dash continue on a file? Um, uh, I haven't, but I can kind of guess what it does. <laughs> yeah. And it, okay. So, so sometimes I'll download like, um, large, like ISOs, okay, right. Yeah. Um, and I think especially like back in the days when the internet was slow, yeah. like you'd be downloading like, like a 700 megabyte, right, like, right. you know, CD image. Yep. And then if, if you get stuck in the middle, it sucks. Cause like, right. <laughs> you know, you need to like wait another like three hours. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to download ISOs on dial-up. Anyway, oh, wow. um, so <laughs> it took a long time. Uh, anyway, the the point the point is that um, there's this range header that you can send um, to a lot of server servers, and it'll say like, okay, just start this download like 200 megabytes in. Um, mm. So you tell it sort of like which byte to start the download at. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you'll just be like, okay, give me everything like from 200 megabytes to the end of the request. Um, and so wget, um, which is this program that lets you download files, um, supports this uh, with the dash dash continue uh, flag where it'll just like look at the current file size and then request everything that's sort of like from that on mm, and then nice append it, start appending it to the end of the file. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a cool little feature of HTTP that's actually supported by tons of servers, um, even though I think it's basically useful for continuing mm-hmm. downloads of large files. Yeah, that's, um, that's pretty cool because I know like in the... In web browsers, originally it was where you would want to download a file, and let's say you're downloading like a Linux ISO, and um, it didn't finish, like it failed halfway through, and then it would just yeah. be like, "Oh, download failed. You got to start all over." But right. what I've noticed, like you know, maybe more recently, is you know, you're in Firefox or Chrome or whatever. Um, sometimes it actually lets you click resume download if it gets disconnected. So I'm I'm kind of thinking yeah. maybe that uses the the range headers. That that that's my guess because it seems unlikely that it's just like kept the connection open for some reason. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, like for like an hour. Like yeah, it's it's probably using the range header. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's um that's pretty cool. That's like I don't know. That's that's very practical, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, another thing I kind of want to have asked about is the the URL. Like when you you type in a mm-hmm. URL to go to a website, um, I think like. What I don't quite understand is when I do like slash posts and slash, you know, my zines or something like that, you know, I have the domain, but then I have like this sort of directory structure, I guess you could call it after that. Mm-hmm. Is that something that like, is that happening at the network level or is that just the server is is pulling that part out and just figuring out from there? Yeah. Um. So when you send an HTTP request, um, there, there's the, everything after sort of after slash right you have like whatever.com slash like i don't know http slash whatever like what what am i i'm at developer.mozilla.org slash enus slash doc slash web slash status slash 502 right mm. and there could be like question mark blah equals blah like everything after the slash just gets sent to the server mm-hmm. as a string yeah right and like so at, at the network level it has it doesn't care what's in the path it could be like there don't have to be slashes, right? There could be, you know, I don't know, some other character. Right. <laughs> like, like it, it doesn't care. Okay. Um, and then it's the server's job to say, like, okay, slash, that means, you know, and it actually could mean anything to the server, right? Because, mm-hmm. like, if it's serving, like, a file directory, it, it might be, like, service, service, up directory. Um, if it's an API, it's probably a different route, right? Mm-hmm. How to based on, like, whatever's slash whatever. Um, yeah. 
but it, it's it's from from like the network perspective it's just a string mm-hmm. um including the query string query parameters and everything i see so so everything before the slash it's um it's exactly the same yeah yeah everything before well everything before the slash is like the domain and the port and then everything after the slash is just sent in like a long string to the server for it to do whatever it wants with and typically it'll like do the same things right like servers will like parse out the query parameters and give it to you in some kind of like dictionary right right Uh, but and the query parameters being like where you have like a question mark and then like a key equals value sort of thing exactly yeah okay Another thing I've noticed is uh, sometimes if I'm in, say, another country and I go to a website, you know, I'll go to a website expecting Mm. it to be in English and I'll get back like, oh, it's everything is in Spanish. I don't understand. Like what happened? And is is that related to headers at all? Um, It's sort of related to headers. I I would say in a way it's not um, because when you um, like your browser, um, I, I can actually look at my developer tools right now. Um, but I'm pretty sure that my browser is sending an accept language header, mm. which is like, hey, um, accept language um, ENUS, mm. right? Um, which is like, I want a website in English. And it's not going to send a different header just because I'm in Spain, um, if that yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Like, it shouldn't start sending me responses in Spanish. Right. But I think that what servers will typically do is they'll look at your IP address and then do geolocation and then send you stuff in a different language, mm. even if your browser technically sent it a header asking for English, yeah, I see. which I don't personally understand. Like, I'm like, you're Google. You should be able to figure out the accept language header. Yeah. Like, why do you think I want a Spanish site just because down right, right, right. no sense. Um, like, there must be some reason for it, but I personally do not get it. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So it's like... Like if you really did live in Spain or something, then when you install uh, your browser, um, I guess I guess would you install a specific brow or a specific version for your language? I'm kind of actually curious. Like, what... I, f- I feel like I might ask you, mm, maybe, okay. like, what language do you want? Yeah. I don't know. Like, I mean, maybe the reality is that browsers do not set the accept language mm-hmm. header well, and a lot of people do have the accept language set- header sent to English, uh, even if they're in a different country, and so it's more practical to do it based on geolocation. Like, I'm sure they did it for a good reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, <laughs> it's, 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 it's not because of the headers this time, actually. Yeah. But, but if you do set, like, if you make a request to, like, twitter.com and set, like, accept language, like, Spanish, like, E-N-E-S-E-S, um, you will get a website in Spanish. Mm. Like you'll get Twitter.com in Spanish. Yeah. So I guess that means someone must be setting the header, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Someone must be setting it. Yeah. I'm like confused about this. Yeah, whole yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess there's, yeah, there's different ways of going about it and we're not sure which one they're using. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, okay, cool. I guess another thing maybe we should go into is uh, I think a lot of people, when they're trying to build a website, they run into issues with um, with cores. Uh, where... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they're like, "Why doesn't anything work?" And so maybe you could uh, maybe you could go into a little bit yeah. of what that is. Let's talk about that. Okay. Um, so I think often people think of the issue as being with cores, but I'm gonna do a little bit of like a well actually, and be like, actually, the issue is the same origin policy. Mm. Um, so let's talk about the same origin policy for a second. Okay. Um, so basically the same origin policy is a policy that browsers have, um, which is to protect you, um, <laughs> like as a browser mm-hmm. user. 
Um, and what it does is it say it says okay let's say um, you're on a website that has some JavaScript on it and that website is trying to make a request to another domain that's not so so an origin is just like um, some like domain.com like api.clothes.com mm-hmm. or something um, and it includes a subdomain so like api.clothes.com and clothes.com are not the same uh, origin they're, oh they're not um, the even same though origin. they're they're oh, not the same origin okay yeah so it has to be it has to be the same protocol like HTTPS is not the same origin as HTTP. Mm. Um, it has to be the same <laughs> okay. port and it has to be exactly the same domain and subdomain. Okay. Like it's really strange. Yeah. Um, and then um, if if you try to make, if some JavaScript tries to make a request to a different origin, um, I would like, I think the way to think about it is that by default, it's not allowed. So it's not like expect that it should be allowed. And then mm-hmm. there are some cases where it's not allowed. Mm-hmm. It's actually more like expect that it should be not allowed. Mm-hmm. And then there are some cases where it's allowed. Um, okay. And this is just for uh, JavaScript. Uh, yeah, it's actually any request from the page, oh, okay. but typically people run into this problem with JavaScript because if you're just including an image from another site, right? Like, it, like we talked about hot linking, right? That's one of the cross origin requests that is allowed. Oh, it's just okay. like, if you just include some JavaScript, like in like a, a script circ, or you like just include some CSS, mm. or if you include an image, those things are okay. They're on like the, the small list of allowed things. Mm. Um, but, but if you're making a request with JavaScript, um, um, like to an API, um, that's not allowed to another origin. Okay. Um, yeah, and that's the same origin uh, policy. That's the same origin okay. policy. Um, and then chorus is actually the thing that lets you make cross origin requests. So it's it's actually the good thing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like like yeah, chorus is like a, a set of headers that that make it possible to make cross origin requests. Mm-hmm. Um, like so like the same origin policy is what's stopping you, and chorus is what uh like a thing that you can do uh, to me. Okay. It, to make it okay um so yeah course course is not in your way course is a good thing <laughs> so, so oh good uh so we can talk about a course works. yeah yeah for sure and like how, how it lets you make requests so let's say you're trying to make a post request to some api mm-hmm. um which is something you might want to do right um or do you want to talk about something different first? Do you want to talk about why the same origin policy exists? Yeah, yeah, sure. Is that useful? Yeah, yeah for sure. Because um, it's not obvious, and I had to think about it for a while, because people were like, wait, why can't I just make requests? Because mm-hmm. you can make requests to those websites from your server, right. right? Like, if you're trying to make requests from an API, you can just do it from your server. So why can't you do it from the mm-hmm. browser, mm-hmm. right? Like, why is the browser so mad right, at right, cross-origin right. requests, right? Like, no. And why is it no, like, no, can't same, do it. Div- right? <laughs> like, why is it so serious? Um so, so, so there's two reasons the browser is so strict about this. Um, one of them is that the browser will send your cookies on cross-origin requests. Oh, okay. um, so, for example, like let's say um, some JavaScript makes a request mm-hmm. to another uh, server. Mm-hmm. It, it actually will make the request, mm-hmm. like if, if it's making a GET request, yeah. and it will make the request with your login cookies. Hmm, the login cookies for your origin or for the site you're making the request to? For the site you're, you're making the request oh, to. Okay. Right. And so you don't just want any JavaScript to be able to make a request with your, like, as yeah, you when you're yeah. logged in. And basically right? like, impersonate you. Right? <laughs> right. You're like, use your own login cookies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like, like uh, that's actually not okay. Mm. And, and, and I mean, you could say, okay, well, then just don't include the login cookies then. Right. But there's actually a second reason, um, which is you could be on some kind of private network, like a corporate network, mm-hmm. like I've had at work in the past, which is like, okay, you're on like, you have some secret company corporate network and then it could be like, oh, let's just make a request to like go like slash steal money. <laughs> <laughs> Dot, you know, yeah, whatever. Yeah. 
Um, and like it may not need any login cookies to do that, but because it's on like a private network that it doesn't have access mm-hmm. to, um, it's still something that you need to be protected oh, from. Oh, interesting. Um, so so it's really because like your like browser is actually like sort of potentially in a privileged location. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, and so your browser isn't just going to let anyone make any requests like from your computer. Right. Um, so so it's so it's actually important, like yeah, which is I think good to keep in mind because it's just like, oh, why are you like, <laughs> why are you doing so? This? So it's like, um, I mean, your computer technically, you know, it has access to the cookie and it can talk to this this private site, but the browser is basically stopping another website from accessing that stuff on your private uh, network, I guess. Exactly, yeah. Um, but if you want to get around this. <laughs> uh, um, you can so 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 uh, which is cores cores stands for cross origin request sharing i believe Re- cross cross origin resource sharing um so it's about it's about sharing things across origins uh, which your browser by default does not let you mm-hmm. do okay um so so let's talk about a get request i guess so let's say you want to like let's say you have two websites on like your corporate private network or something and you want them to be able to make requests to each other so so what you can do is on 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 responses so the, the cores stuff happens on kind of the target server that you're trying to make the request to, right? Because obviously, I guess, like, the the JavaScript asking for the site can't feel like I have access, right? Because it's like, it could just lie. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, so, so, so the server on the other side needs to be like, okay, no, this site has access, it's mm-hmm. fine. Um, so it, 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 when it sends back a response, it can add this header called access control allow origin, um, which is the origin of the site that the JavaScript is on that's allowed to make the request. Um, so that, that's kind of it. So the, um, sorry, the access control allow origin, that's coming back from where? It's coming back from the server with the resource that's being requested. Oh, okay. okay. So, yeah, like like if it's like api.whatever.com, mm-hmm. like that's like your API that you want to allow like one, a specific site access right. to, um, you you could return like access control allow origin, mm-hmm. like myotherwebsite.com. Yeah, and um, is this done for like the whole domain? Like, is your browser asks like, "Hey, can I access your site from this other origin?" And that's for like everything on that site, or is it like scoped to specific URLs? It's scoped to the the, the origin. Yeah, so it's it's everything on the domain oh, okay. and subdomain. Okay. Yeah, so you, I don't I don't believe I could be wrong, but I don't believe you can do just one URL. Mm, I see. Which is why you have to be careful about how you structure your site. I guess. Mm-hmm. And is is also actually one like example of this. You know how GitHub pages are at like something.github.io? Mm-hmm. Like it's pretty important that that's a different origin than like github.com, right? Because you could imagine that like GitHub allows like some things, R- right? Like, like certain kinds of requests from github.com. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's not allowing like other JavaScript that it doesn't control right, right. on github.com, yeah, right? Yeah, like yeah. you're on like oh, that's interesting. my user.github.io. Yeah. Um, and and everyone actually has their own subdomain, mm-hmm. so they all have their own origin, so they're all isolated from each other. Okay, so if you um, have a subdomain, that's considered a completely separate origin. Yeah, which is why it's good to use subdomains if you're trying to isolate mm, people. Okay. Instead of like, like if you're doing like a shared hosting site, yeah, you should probably give them subdomains because then it'll be different origins. Right. Okay. Because otherwise, it would be like, um, you know, you could make a website that basically, when somebody goes to your GitHub Pages site it makes requests to like their actual GitHub account and goes like, oh, I'm just going to like delete your repos or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> that seems bad. <laughs> yeah. Okay, very cool. And then you can kind of see like the rabbit hole of browser security from mm-hmm, there, right? Mm-hmm. Like, but, 
Yeah, that's that's interesting. It's kind of like the browser is like acting as your your guardian, I guess, going saying like, no, you can't do this because this is <laughs> this is dangerous. Don't do that, Julia. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's right. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Sort of the next thing I, I kind of want to go into is more in a general sense about your thoughts on like education and, um, you know, programming and things like that. But I guess before I do that, is there anything on HTTP specifically that you, you think we should have talked about? I wonder if it would be fun to talk about compression really quickly. Sure, for sure. I think I just really love that. Like, did you know that most things that are sent on the internet are compressed? So is that like the, like I, I often hear gzip. Is, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, they're gzipped. Um, so, like, if you request some JavaScript, um, it, it's go- it's almost certainly going to be compressed hmm. to save bandwidth. And I just think it's really nice, like <laughs> that, like there, like um, because your browser will send this header, which is like accept encoding yeah. GZIP, um, which is like if you compress it, I get it, it's fine. And then the server will just compress it. And like, even if your application itself, like, server doesn't compress it, usually there's some proxy server in the middle, like Nginx, which will just be like, okay, I'll just compress mm, it. Because <laughs> why wouldn't you, right? <laughs> Yeah, because why wouldn't you, right? And it's something you can just do on the yeah. fly. It's not a big deal. Um, and that's all like transparent to you, like because when you open up the network tab in the browser, it's showing you the raw headers and all that stuff. But that's because the browser has yeah. already um, uh, decompressed the gzip. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, the headers won't won't, won't be compressed. Oh, the header. Oh, okay. So the headers are always plain text, and yeah. then it's just the content yeah. that gets compressed. Exactly. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then the browser will will show you the un- decompressed content, even though like usually, like very often, the content will actually have been compressed. Right, right. Oh, that's cool. Um, it's kind of like uh, yeah. another thing the browser takes nice. care of for you. <laughs> There's so many things the browser is so wonderful. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, in in HTTP two, actually, the headers are compressed. Mm. Um, but that's oh, okay. That's new. yeah. So then it's completely binary then in HTTP two. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Okay. So no more, no more using uh, Netcat to. Uh, <laughs> no, it's through. kind of sad. Yeah, but there's a lot of advantages. Mm, okay. Yeah, it's it's always cool when you have something that that uses a text based protocol. Like for example, with uh, like another example I could think of is is Redis. Is it's all just plain text. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, you can tell that to a Redis server and kind of play around and and see how how it works. So I was that that's pretty cool. Yeah, I love I love plain text protocols. Cool. Let's talk about education. Okay, yeah. So I guess, you know, you've talked about before how you wish there were more intermediate materials for developers out there. Like Yeah. You know, you you search online and there's there's tons of like, oh, you know, how to how to start as a new programmer and like how to do your first thing, which is really, which is really awesome. Right. How to get started with Python. Yeah. Yeah. Like how to learn JavaScript. Right. Yeah. And then, but like for, you know, myself and I'm like, uh, I want to learn about like, oh, how to, how to use a CDN or something like that or something like, a you know, right. then, uh, maybe another step uh, further. It, it's, I, I find it a little difficult or like I, I, I find it, there's not as many resources out there. So I'm kind of curious, like what you would like to see more of, or, you know, what, what, what are your hopes for that space? Yeah, so the, I think the way I think about the work I do, because I think that's sort of most of what I write mm-hmm. about, um, is sort of that intermediate space is kind of like when I started learning more about HTTP, um, I had a couple of great coworkers, 
like a coworker named Ray who'd worked with CDNs a lot, and I would just be like, Ray, how is HTTP header for yeah. like, what's happening? <laughs> right. What are these headers? Like how how do I and a lot of it is sort of simple mm-hmm. stuff. Like nothing we talked about in this like episode so far is really that like complicated. Right. right. right? <laughs> it's just like things that you don't know because no one told yeah, you. Yeah. Like about like the range header or whatever mm-hmm. like it's not that important but it's cool to know that and it could be useful and like you just need someone to have told you one yeah. time um and and so i think of like the work i'm trying to do is sort of like to be that like coworker who's just like hey you need to know about this like little thing it'll be useful to you i don't i don't know if that, if that makes yeah sense. i mean like I, I think that's one of the things that you know really draws a lot of people and myself included to to your material because it's it sort of gives us a window into these things that, like you said, you you wouldn't even know that you need to look into or could like really save you a lot of time unless you have like a colleague or a friend who could tell you like, uh, oh yeah, I've seen that problem and you know, you can you can fix it with this way by knowing just a little bit more about the thing you're working on. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot about it too in terms of sort of fundamentals, right? Like, because the reason I'm so excited to write about HTTP is that it's like the protocol that runs the entire web. Right. Right? That seems important, right? Like, it's and like that's that's all and it's not really that hard to learn about. Um but if you don't know it, you can really end up sort of stuck, mm-hmm. right? Because if you have a problem with caching, yeah. And yeah. you don't know that you have a problem with caching or you don't know that your browser's caching mm-hmm. stuff. Like what are you supposed to do, right? right? Like <laughs> um, and I think that there are a few of these fundamental things, especially I think protocols mm. um that are also aren't really taught, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Like in a lot of places, like certainly I didn't learn about HTTP in school. Mm-hmm. You know, right. like I really learned about it on the job. Right, right. Um and so uh, so I kind of want to collect some of these like fundamental things and be like, look, this is it. Like it's not mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not that much yeah. to know. <laughs> You just need to learn it and then you'll be not, not set, but like you'll have the foundation. Cause like, you're not going to memorize the whole HTTP protocol, right. right? Like, like we were talking, you were like, what's 502. And I was like, uh, wait, like, you know, like, <laughs> I don't remember. Yeah. Um, but the point is that like, if you have that foundation, then you can go to like MDN, the Mozilla developer mm-hmm. network and just look up what you need to know. And then like, that's what like, I think being a wizard sort of yeah, is, right? Sure. Is it the ability to just like know where to look, mm-hmm. look up the answer and get, get it done. Yeah. And, and when you're deciding on topics to to write about or dive deeper into, is it where you'll be working on something at work and then you'll you'll kind of hit a wall and then you just kind of start doing research? Or like, how do you end up picking, you know, the specific topics? Yeah. So so when I blog, it'll typically be that. Um, it'll be like, oh, like I ran this thing at work and then I was curious about it. And then like, these are the things that I learned. When I write zines, it's a little bit different um, because I guess because they're bigger topics. Um, and I usually write down things I already know about. Mm. Um, but I try to write about things that I consider really fundamental. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've written a lot about like sort of Unix command line tools, right. which are like, I, I like, I feel like they're like in my fingers yeah. at this point, right? Like, <laughs> it's like really what you need to know. I write, I write, I've written about like kind of concepts in mm-hmm. Linux, like, like permissions and like, you know, file descriptors and stuff like that. Um, and then HTTP is also something that I kind of consider fundamental. And I, I kind of want to, like, I think next I might write about databases, oh, like relational okay. databases, because I think that's really fundamental. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I think a lot of people don't, like, like there's some things about transactions, for mm-hmm. example, that I think are not well understood mm-hmm. by many mm-hmm. people, you know, in- including me, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to need to learn a few yeah. things <laughs> to, to write about databases. Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> um, and like indexes, mm-hmm, right? It's like mm-hmm. like if I think there's just like a lot 
a, a few things to know about databases that are are truly not obvious. Yeah, I, I think like um, you know, with a lot of these things, whether it's um, you know HTTP or it's the Unix calls or it's databases, I, I think a lot of people they kind of they stay at more of the higher level, you know, level of knowledge. Like if you're yeah. working with a database, you know, maybe you're working through an ORM, and you're like, why is my thing slow? <laughs> and it's yeah. uh you know like you said you know understanding more about indexes or understanding more about like oh i have all these transactions and they're all um locking the database and nothing can get done like going just a little bit deeper you know it can it can help so much yeah and i think like if you want to be a great developer i feel like you do need to understand some of these concepts mm-hmm. like for example if you're a front-end developer i think like i'm not a front-end developer but my my, my impression is that a lot of these things that hp we're talking about are kind of fundamental to front-end development, mm-hmm. right? Because like your site performance is very important, which means that caching is right. important, right? Or like security is mm-hmm. important, which means that you need to kind of understand the basic security mm-hmm. of the model, like model of the browser, mm-hmm. I think, just in order to like communicate well with your security team, yeah. right? About like why you're doing certain things. And you do, like you need to know, like you can't just set access control a la origin star. Yeah. <laughs> like why that's not okay, <laughs> right? right? right. Like, I, th- I think there are just like some fundamental things that you yeah. need to know to be able to like work productively with like experts mm-hmm. who maybe are experts in browser security right. in your company. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, even if you aren't yourself that mm-hmm. person, I think having having a foundation is a big deal. Yeah. So I guess from from your perspective, like the foundations you're thinking of would be protocols, you said the Linux system calls, databases, are, are there anything else that you think like, you know, people could, you know, they could invest like a little bit more time in and they could really get a big benefit out of it? Um, that's a great question. Let me think about it. I'm still, I, 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 I only, I work on things. One, one thing I've been writing about recently is debugging, mm-hmm. which I think is mm-hmm. a, a different kind of foundational sure, skill, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, which is not like a, a technical skill in another way. In, a, in the same way, I think, like, I mean, I have this other zine, which is about, like, how to work with your manager, mm-hmm. which I personally also think is a foundational right. skill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, as someone who has a right. job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, something we sometimes uh, forget, right? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, but I'm I'm definitely still working on the list. I th- I think it's not obvious. I don't know what what you what you think are like other foundational skills. Like yeah, that. I mean, hmm, it's kind of hard to say. Um, it it also sort of depends on what type of projects you work on. I think. Um, yeah, because like one thing I never really thought about too much, um, and kind of actually some of your articles kind of made me look a little bit closer. Is is yeah, just the system call concept of. Um, you know, hey, we're writing, we're writing code in a high level language. Um, but actually, this is like doing all these operating system level calls. And if we understand like, hey, we're, what calls is it making? And how often is it doing? And how much time is it taking? You know, that really helps with um, trying to figure out why something is slow, right? Um, yeah. But if you are like, let's say a front end developer, uh, and you're just working sort of in the JavaScript um, ecosystem, you know, HTML, CSS, maybe that part isn't so important, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then like, you might almost be a little more algorithm focused in a way. Cause I feel like, like, because like front end performance is so important, like, I feel like, or, or just like, I guess the browser model in general, right. Cause there's so much more to like what a browser is doing. Yeah. Yeah. Security. Um, and I feel like a good understanding of the browser environment is really key. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess like I would be sort of curious, like because I'm not um, too deep into front end either. But I'm wondering if, in, in your impression, if 
you do a lot of work in the browser, you know, is it, is it important to understand a little bit about how the browser itself works or about how the JavaScript runtime works? Or is that like maybe too deep? Like, I'm just kind of curious. I, I, I would guess that it's more about sort of the interface that the browser exposes mm-hmm. to you and less about what it's doing inter- internally. Yeah, yeah. Um, so sort of just like, because browsers have all these capabilities mm-hmm. and they're always getting new ones, yeah. right? Like there's like the music API mm-hmm. and the like local storage. Like uh, we talked yeah, about, yeah, right? yeah. And I think just being like aware of what all those different interfaces are and like what they let you do seems important to me. I think of things a lot in terms of interfaces, right? Like HTTP is an interface. The browser has all these interfaces. Um, yeah, so that's that's kind of a that's kind of an interesting perspective where it's um, you are you are going like one level deeper, but it's about sort of the APIs available to the browser. Um, yeah, 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 and just like how you can expect them to right, be. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, I think like. Um, yeah, definitely. Like the the blog posts and the zines you're doing, I think, are helping people to just get a better awareness of like of the sort of foundational concepts. And I mean, I know myself. Like, I went, I studied computer science, but um, a lot of mm. what I learned in school um, is is not like these things. <laughs> Even though I think they're, <laughs> no, they're super important, but <laughs> uh, you know. I didn't learn any of this yeah, in school. Yeah. Even though I also studied computer science, <laughs> but like I <laughs> Yeah, it's uh yeah, I mean it's like, you know, we learn yeah. about data structures and um algorithms and things like that, but it's like I didn't learn about system calls or I didn't learn about <laughs> how databases work all this stuff. So Yeah. I didn't even learn about Git. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I didn't either. <laughs> I when I was in school, I was the one who would like you would have a folder and then I would make a copy of the folder and say like, Oh, this is version yeah. two, right? It's like and uh, then I started working, and I was like, "Oh, why, why, like, <laughs> why didn't they teach yeah. us anything?" <laughs> yeah, I think one of my friends tipped me off in school. I was like, "You need to be learning this." <laughs> but uh, so, yeah that that could be a whole other discussion. Is sort of the yeah, gap, yeah. Real. But so, one of the things um, I also kind of wanted to ask you about is. Uh, one of the things I find really interesting about your posts is I, I feel like you really, um, you really know your audience in terms of what to explain and what not to explain. Because I've, mm. you know, looked up tutorials on things, and you know, I'm trying to to get a basic concept of like, oh, how do I, for example, let's say I'm in Python, and how do I interact with C code from Python or something like that. Um, and you know, I'm looking up tutorials and I may get a tutorial that kind of goes into like explaining, like you didn't know anything, like, uh, (laughs) I get so frustrated (laughs) and it's like, you know, I I just want to know the thing I came here, but you know, I I have to get through three pages of like, oh, this is how a ver this is what a variable is. And like, um, so I'm kind of curious, like, how do you make decisions like that on, on what to focus on and what not to? Yeah. So, so my approach is always to sort of focus on my past self mm. um, and like, okay, what did I not know like a year ago or two years ago or five years ago about this that I wish someone would have told mm-hmm. me? Um, and that's not what a variable is, right? Because I yeah. knew five years ago what a variable was. <laughs> um, and I think sort of like keeping that focus and not because I, and, and that often, like sometimes it doesn't exactly work because I won't explain something because I'm like, well, I knew that. Um, and someone will be like, well, I don't know that. And then I'll be like, okay, I'll add that too. But I, I, I sort of, I think, try to start with sort of a minimal approach of just like, well, what didn't I know? And what do I wish 
I would have known. And I think that resonates with a lot of people. Um, yeah, definitely. Because I think often people aim it, aim their stuff at an audience of nobody. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like they don't have any real person in their mind who would benefit from this. Um, and so starting with someone who could be like literally yourself, I think is better than like, oh, I don't know. Maybe someone would want it explained this way. I don't know who. Yeah, right? yeah. Because <laughs> uh, I think, uh, I think, you know, some people really get caught up on that where they're they're not sure like, oh, you know, I want to I want to reach as many people as possible. So I should explain absolutely everything. But then I kind of wonder if, you know, in some cases when you do that, um, the people who could really use the information that, you know, you've got buried in your yeah. post, they won't find it because they'll kind of get hung up on the things that they don't care about so much. Yeah, exactly. And and maybe the people who are starting at a more basic level can't really deal with the more advanced information right. because like you haven't, you probably haven't explained literally everything. Right, right, right. To, like, to, you know. Yeah, because like, if you answered ev- absolutely everyone who says like, oh, I don't understand this thing and you added it to the post, then, you know, eventually you would have a 300 page book, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Another thing I, I find interesting about, you know, your, your posts and your zines is that, you know, they're, they're relatively um you know they're relatively small so it's it's kind of easy to 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 read it in one sitting and go like oh okay like i i learned a thing and you know i can kind of keep this in my my head um, so yeah i'm kind of curious like from your perspective you know do you see this kind of you know short form writing um being more common like because you know in the past there were you 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 would have a reference text you know you would have your 200 300 page book and go like oh go read this and then you can start learning python or then you can start writing python or something um but i think that's like getting harder and harder for people to do right yeah and i i think the reason i started doing it that way is partly that that's realistically not the way that i work like books are great i know and i I know some people do learn a lot from books um I, i mean i did i learned to program from a book way back but then i didn't i don't think i read any programming books mm, after that yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah. I, I just read the one right. book um and, and then that was it <laughs> no i'm sure i've read other books but i can't think of one off sure. top of my head oh except the manager's path by camille mm. fournier um, <laughs> which is amazing and also relatively short uh okay but yeah I, I think the reality of how i work most of the time is i want to get like some sort of like basic ideas of like how to think about something and then afterwards like once i have a framework for how to think about it then i'll just go look up information as mm-hmm. i need it um and i feel like that's how many people work these days yeah. you know like you want to know like maybe like how okay like what's the basics of like how, what are hp headers and what are the methods and like how does this work and like what's up with browser security oh my god and then like um, and, then, and then once once you have all of that, you can just be like, okay, I want to know what the 304 um, HTTP response code means again. I'll just look that up, right? And you don't, like, you're, you're not going to look up, up in a book also because it's 2019, <laughs> right? <You're, laughs> like, I don't know. I don't think it's it's useful. Though I do think that actually reference books are mm-hmm. amazing um, in a way because I don't want to, I don't want to slam reference books because I have this reference mm-hmm. book called the Linux programming interface that explains like every, like we were talking about sort of interfaces in the browser interface. This is like the Linux interface and it's like everything that Linux can do for you. And it's like 800 pages and it's incredible. And like, whenever I want to know something, I do actually look it up in that book. But again, it's like, so I think reference books can be an incredible. For sure. Valuable. Yeah. Um, and I'm really happy that um, the author, of that book took the time to write it because it's incredible and it's like a gift like to <laughs> yeah yeah but, but maybe like maybe it's better not to start straight from the reference text yeah 
because I've only read like 15, 10 uh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and every time I go to it, it's perfect and it's exactly right. what I need. But yeah. like, you know, I'm I'm probably not going to read it mm-hmm. all the way through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like I, I feel sort of the same way about docs as well, where a lot of times, yeah, like all the information is there, but if you're just trying to get started, you're you're kind of like I don't know what to look at first, right? This is like yeah. the the docs becomes a lot more useful once you have sort of a basic context of what you're trying to do and sort of what the um, the high level pieces are, and then that's when you can kind of dive in and get exactly the piece of information you're looking for. Yeah. And I think people just really learn in a lot of different ways, like, because you need to sort of do some things interactively, right? You need to play around, which is, I think, where, like, tutorials can be really great, where they're, like, let's walk you through, like, exactly what to type on your computer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you need to kind of, like, get a framework for how to think about the thing. And then you need, to like, the reference docs. And, like, it's not like there's one right way. I think people need, need like, a, a, a whole like web of different kinds of materials yeah i'm currently excited about interactive things and i have like a project i'm working on around Ooh, that. that sounds um, exciting <laughs> so, i'm so excited awesome. <laughs> i guess for yourself what what would you like to see more of from other people you know would it be like short posts or zines or video courses like kind of what what resonates with you um i i think i really love the zine format i would like to see more of that because i i just think it's like a great like size to explain something like really important Mm -hmm. like you can kind of explain not the whole thing but you can explain like enough of it that people kind of get an idea and it's also more okay so i guess what i love about the zine is that it's a physical thing actually Mm. yeah yeah, yeah. like you like you can like print it out and like give it to someone and then they'll like read it on Mm -hmm. the bus and like people will actually read physical things yep yeah (laughs) it's Uh like a novelty now right yeah, it is like a novelty. And I think it's just a really lovely thing. And I feel like because if it's on, there's too many things on your mm-hmm. computer, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, it's it's too much. And so maybe what I would like to see more of is physical oh, things that are real yeah. um, and that you can go read on the subway yeah, yeah. Um, in your hands. Right, right. Yeah. And I think like I can imagine like you're saying, yeah, someone writing, reading a zine on the subway or something, but um, it's a little harder to picture, you know, you with the the Linux programming interface book. On <laughs> it's so happy. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. And you can almost like trick someone to learning things. This is kind of how I think about it. Like, even though it's not supposed to be a trick, <laughs> but like sometimes I'll just be like, here, look at this. And they'll be like, oh, like I was, you know, out and then I was bored and then I picked this up then I learned something cool. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And like, <laughs> it's like, it's like a nice thing to, to like thrust on. Yeah. <laughs> And it's kind of like, you know, you, you have like the, the really cool covers and stuff and there's like the little pictures and yeah. stuff when you open it up and you're like, oh, you know, this is kind of fun. And you're like, by you get to the end, you're like, oh, I learned about, I learned about HTTP or I learned about how the internet Surprise. works. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, yeah, exactly. That's pretty cool. I think like maybe the last thing I, I'd like to ask is, you know, you started out writing zines as kind of a, a hobby, but, but recently you sort of transitioned into do you know, it being more of a business. And I was kind of wondering, yeah. like, how has writing them, I guess you could call it professionally, <laughs> been working out for yeah. you? Yeah. Um, it's been amazing. Um, I, uh, yeah, it, it's been really astonishing. I think I, I was really, like, it, it was sort of a difficult transition to make because I think it's hard to, like, sometimes, like, value your own work and mm. be like, it's okay to charge yeah. for this, yeah, you yeah. know? Um, but I think it's really helped me spend more time on them because I'm like, okay, this is like, like, I, I think I feel more of a responsibility, mm-hmm. if that makes mm-hmm. sense, now that I'm charging for them, because I'm like, this does need to be like, really good. Um, 
and I think like my my this HTTP zine is twenty eight pages, mm-hmm. which is the, the longest one. Uh, okay, um, the definitely twenty eight is the maximum. <laughs> I think. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I think it helps me. Like it makes it easier to pay mm-hmm. people to like like pay illustrators um, or whatever. Um, and yeah, it's it's amazing. I make a living from it, uh, which is outstanding and like very surprising. Um, that I'm very happy about or like very grateful for. Um, what else? I mean, I guess, is there anything you didn't expect when, you know, you tried, you made this decision? Um, I, I think I didn't expect it to be so successful, if that makes sense. Like, I, I think I'd, I'd, I'd sold some scenes before and I'd make like, oh, like a few thousand dollars. Like, and I was like, okay, I'll just start selling that, but it won't like be that big of a deal or it won't be that successful. And it's been like way more successful, like as a business than I thought it would have been. And I was like, oh, like, because I think I, I have this, I've had this idea sometimes because like, like working as a software developer that like writing software is the most important mm-hmm. thing. And it's the only thing that's sort of valuable and that sort of doing education work isn't valuable, if that makes sense. Even though I love doing mm-hmm. education work and I personally think mm-hmm. it's valuable. I'm like, oh, like other people don't value it and like, you can't really make money doing it. And what I learned is that that's all. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, like it is super valuable. You can definitely make money yeah. doing it. Um, I, I, I like definitely make more doing this right now than I did in my first job. Mm, right. Yeah, like, yeah. Like it's like, it's like really an important that's thing. It's really cool. Yeah. And I think I think it really made me see like in a very clear way that that it's like valuable mm-hmm. work and like why I don't know it's like why would teaching people something be less valuable than doing right the thing, right know? yeah like, like I, I think it's like kind of like a strong bias in our culture uh-huh. probably <laughs> but like it doesn't really I don't make sense yeah I mean it's basically like someone makes educational material and other people learn from it it's like kind of like you're teaching all of them and they're all getting better at the same time and you know, you just had to make that one thing, right? And you can touch like you know, yeah. a million people or whatever, which I think is like, that's really awesome. Yeah. yeah. Like it kind of scales in the same way that software yeah, does in, yeah, that's in a, good... a way that I kind of like, right? Because <laughs> you just write it that's once point, and then yeah. all these people learn from it in the same way that you like write software once yeah, and then it does the yeah. thing like a bajillion times. Right. And, yeah. <laughs> and I, I think like a lot of people, they kind of under, I don't know if they underestimate, but they sort of... um they don't always realize how much time they save when they either talk to an expert or they get access to, you know, a resource like a zine or a blog post or whatever. Um, you know, sometimes you could be struggling with something for a week or whatever. And because you read, you know, like just one zine or just one blog post, it's like, yeah, all that is, you know, you're done in like a couple hours. right? <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I remember like once at work, I had this issue um, and I was literally never going to figure it out, except that I happened to have read a blog post uh, the week yeah, before yeah. that described that exact issue. Yeah. And I was like, thank God I read yeah. that blog post because I was literally never going right. to figure it out. Like it was impossible. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a weird TCP thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That's really cool. So like given, you know, the importance of education and how much you enjoy it, have you have you thought about dedicating more time towards that versus just as a software engineer? Yeah, that's right now that's the only thing I'm doing. Oh, actually. awesome. I I I yeah. That's I don't have a job oh. right now. <laughs> as of like recently. It, it sounds weird to say, but that actually sounds really exciting. <laughs> no, it's it's very it's yeah, really exciting. Yeah, it's yeah. fun. I think I think I'm gonna try to spend a year on mm, it. Yeah. Um, I, I still need to write it up, um, 
like I want to talk about it a mm-hmm. little more uh, on my blog. But yeah, I have, I have a bunch of projects I'm excited about. And I was because I was like, well, like, look, I'm so excited about education, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what if I just like spend spent a little more time mm-hmm. on it for a while to see how I feel about it? And I think that like when you make like a transition like that, it can feel like a huge commitment. Mm-hmm. Right. But it's like literally not, <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> let's just try this for a year and see see how it goes and like what i make and uh, yeah so far i finished one zine um like i think i finished this http zine today so i guess by the time this podcast is is out it'll be out congratulations (laughs) that's uh that's really cool yeah i'm really excited to to see what you come up with because myself and sort of the community as a whole i think really enjoys the material you put out and it's really Uh, super accessible. And like you said, it kind of brings into picture like, okay, what are the fundamentals that I should know that I may not know I should know? Um, And so I'm really excited to see that uh, more of that come from you. And uh, you even mentioned like getting into more interactive stuff, which I think is that that sounds really cool. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited. That's awesome. It's nice to have the time. So is there anything else that um, you think I should have asked or that you're you're sort of excited to talk about? No. We talked about very many things that I'm excited about. <laughs> All right, Julia. Well, I think that's going to do it for us. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Bye. Okay. Show notes for this episode can be found at softwaresessions.com. If you enjoyed the conversation with Julia, tell someone else about the show. 